Ever since the first of the year, we've been in the book of Mark. And uh, today I'd like to read from Mark chapter 2, if you will. And we have on the screen some of the reading of the scripture. And I hope you bring your Bibles or at least plan to... uh, to learn what the Lord is saying to us, speaking to us today. And uh, if you do not have an outline of the sermon, please raise your hand. I want you to have one. If you do not have an outline of the sermon, just lift your hand because I want you to follow along. We remember much more of what we read than just what we hear. And uh, let's begin by reading Mark chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Notice And in so many scriptures, several scriptures, the tax collectors are listed with the with sinners. Uh, When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, sick period. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now, Matthew himself is writing. Of course, he was the one that was called by Jesus, and he was the one that invited Christ to his house. But listen at how he writes it. Now, it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. By the way, these were learned men that were complaining. It was the Pharisees. It was the religious leaders of that day. And so for Jesus said, learn something it could have been and probably was an insult. So he says to them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. But those who are sick, those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous. I'm sorry. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, look at the, if you will, the introduction. Chapter 2 of Mark begins with the story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man. Chapter 2. Who was lowered through the roof. And most of us remember that story. The next story that happens in the book, the second chapter of Luke, is the day's story. Here he calls Levi, who happens to be a tax collector, whose name was, of course, Matthew. The people of Israel hated tax collectors. You don't hate internal revenue folks, do you? Someone said, did you hear of the IRS inspector who walks into a church and asks to see the pastor? He's shown to the pastor's office and is offered a seat. 
Pastor, he says, a member of your church, Mr. James Jones, has stated on his tax return that he has donated $50,000 to the church recently. Can you tell me if that's correct? The pastor answered, I'm sure it will be. (laughs) But the people of that day hated tax collectors. They were viewed as lowlifes who would sail their own people down the river to make a buck. They were lumped with the worst of sinners. Now here comes a powerful and influential leader, Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus. And he is calling one to be a disciple and then going eating at his house. Eating at someone's house was a sign of acceptance. And the disciples didn't feel uneasy. Jesus did not feel uneasy. It was the religious of that day, people that felt the Pharisees, that certainly felt uneasy. Notice number one, Jesus calls the tax collector. Now the title of this sermon, I got this from the message as I was reading through the second chapter of the book of, of, of Mark, the title of this message is Acting Cozy with the Riffraff. Acting Cozy with the Riffraff. The Riffraff were uh, disreputable people, worthless people, rubbish. That word means rubbish, trash, or the scum. In other words, Jesus Christ was going to the lowest of the lowest house and eating with the Rubbish, the people that were, the people thought that were scum of the earth. Jesus calls the tax collector. Uh, Why does he hang around with the no good traitors? And they were traitors because they were Jewish people. They were called publicans, not republicans. They were called publicans and they were known as tax collectors and they were Jewish people that collected the taxes for the Roman government. And many of them uh, kept it for themselves. The tax collector was better known as Matthew that we're talking about, the apostle and the gospel writer. And as I've said, they were viewed as traitors, as Jews working for the Roman government. They had a very poor reputation. They were viewed, viewed as extortionists. For publicans often charge very exorbitant fees. And uh, as I said, they were hated. I don't know if any of them ever pleaded the fifth or not, but we know they were hated. Uh, They were classed together with sinners and harlots. And uh, we have the scripture here that says in Luke 5, 1 and 2, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained, This man receives and eats with them. And then reading from Matthew 21, 31, which of the two did the will of his father, Jesus said, after he told them a story. They said to him the first, Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots, here they are listed with prostitutes, enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you do not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and 
believe him. So we see the repetition of the tax collectors or the publicans during the time of Jesus Christ. Once Matthew started following Christ, Jesus called him. He immediately left his, quote, business and followed Jesus. Once he did, he invited Jesus to come and eat with him. And then he invited other tax collectors, other sinners, the outcasts, the ungodly. And here Jesus is going to the house and he is eating with them. The scribes and the Pharisees are shocked. Having fellowship publicly with sinners, Jesus defied what was the accepted social thing to do. But we find that Matthew had changed. He wanted fellowship with the Lord. In the book of Luke, Luke records two tax collectors. Here he records Matthew And he also records another tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, most of us know of Zacchaeus from our teaching in Sunday school, how he climbed a sycamore tree. But he also was a tax collector. He was a hated man. And Jesus invited him to come down from the tree that he had climbed, being a short man, that he might see Jesus. He came down and Jesus said to him, I'm going to your house. Now, there's something about this that stirs my heart and I hope speaks to us today concerning our relationship with the world. Our relationship with the world. But I want you to notice Matthew or Levi and I want you to notice Zacchaeus. Matthew wanted to fellowship with Jesus Christ and he spent probably some of the money that he took And he had, in fact, Luke says he had a great party. He spent a lot of money inviting Jesus because he wanted the fellowship with the Lord. Zacchaeus said to Jesus, once he spoke to him and had a conversation to him, he said, and all the money or the money that I have embezzled, I will restore it many fold. In other words, these two tax collectors, when they met Jesus Christ, had a great change in their life. They walked different. They talked different. They were different. I believe when we meet Jesus and we accept him as our personal Savior, whether it's here at the church or whether it's a choir of the fire, I believe it changes our life and we think different. And you could tell by the testimonies, the thinking was different than what it was when they went to the uh, occasion. We are different. These two tax collectors were different. Number three, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What does that mean? Let's look at that. Levi says, or Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Notice what it says. God isn't in uh, in two rituals that mask a hard heart. In fact, mercy for six sinners, S-I-N-N-E-R, mercy for them, rather than not sacrifice or receiving sacrifice from the self-righteous. And that's really what he's saying. Going through the religious motions 
so we can fool ourselves that we are right with him when inside we are consumed by bitterness, by selfishness, and by pride. In other words, we can have religion. We can go to church. We can sing in the choir. We can either preach, do whatever. But is our heart right with him? Are we doing it because we love him? Are we doing it because... And you know, this is so important that we understand he desires mercy and certainly not sacrifice. God says many times that he doesn't want our gifts and sacrifices when we give him out of a ritual and out of hypocrisy. The thing I want us to understand is that Jesus is seeking for sinners. The thing I want want us to understand is that if we're not careful, we live in our own world. I heard Matthew West sing this morning. And he sung this song, My Own Little World. My Own Little World. In my own little world, it hardly ever rains. I've never gone hungry, always felt safe. I got some money in my pocket, shoes on my feet, in my own little world, population me. Population me. I try to stay awake till the Sunday morning church. I throw a 20 in the plate, but I never give till it hurts. And I turn off the news when I don't like what I see. Yea, it's easy to do when it's population me. Outside my own little world, stopped at a red light, looked out my window. I saw a cardboard sign, said, help this homeless widow. Just above this sign was the face of a human. I thought to myself, God, what have I been doing? So I rolled down the window and looked her in the eye. And how many times have I just passed her by? I gave her some money, then I drove on through in my own little world. Now there's population too. I'm going to break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me open hands and open doors. Put your light in my eyes and let me see that my own little world is not about me. And then he asks this question. In the course of the song, what if there's a bigger picture? What if I'm missing out? What if there's a great purpose that I could be living right now? I don't want to miss what matters. I want to be reaching out. Show me the great, greater purpose so I can start living now. Outside my own little world, oh, my own little world. Oh, my own little world. It's easy for us to separate ourselves. I was raised on verses like this. Come out from among them, saith the Lord. Be separated from them. Is that scripture? Yes. Should we do that? Yes. And in fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Be not deceived. 
Evil company corrupts good habits. And we are to come out. But coming out doesn't mean we isolate ourselves. There's a difference. There's a difference in separation and isolation. Separation and isolation. You said, Pastor, what's the difference? Paul wants to speak to that in 1 Corinthians right into them in chapter 5, verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual immoral people. Now listen to this. Yet I certainly did not mean with sexual immoral people of this world or with the covetous, extortioners, idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But Paul goes on to say in verse 11, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is is, uh, sexually immoral, immoral, covetous, idolater, or reviler, or a drunkard, or extortioner. He made a difference. We're not to allow these things to happen in the church. I I think we have switched I think we let immorality in the church and we let it be leaders in the church and we accept it and we condone it. That's what, that's what our culture has done today. But as far as those people out there, if we're not careful, we live in our own little world, population one, me. It's important that we realize that. And he says here, not to even eat with such a person. That means those that are being hypocritical, living a life of hypocrisy, not the world out there. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Paul says, verse 13, but those who are outside, God judges. God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself evil person, or the rather evil person. Very big distinction. God wants us to realize that Jesus hobnobbed. Jesus was cozy with the tax collector, with those that's in sin. It's people like that Terry Schuff and Angie Schuff and others reach out that are very desperate, that are lonely, that are hurting. And I'm not too sure, I'm not too sure that the church, even Bethel, hears that call today as we should. Because we, we know that there's so many that are hurting today. Let me ask you something this morning. What if sitting here this good Sunday morning and we watch 10, 15, 25 people come in that they look ragged and poor and dirty and their clothes were not like our clothes. They were not acceptable as far as society is concerned. What would happen if they walked in this church this morning? What would we do? What if they didn't smell good? What if even some of them had alcohol on their breath? 
What would we do? What would I do? I don't know. Maybe I'd be like this. I'm reminded of a, a church years ago that was a nominal church. And the church was full. There was no seat. And they were singing. And while the song was going on, in the back came a young man, and he was ragged. His hair was all matted. He was dirty. He was filthy. And he walked in the back, and he found no seat. And he came right up to the front. And the front pew, he sat next to it on the floor. And the people were aghast. They couldn't believe their eyes that he had nerve to even come into church and then come all the way down to the front. People began to wonder, what are we going to do? There was an elderly deacon at the back, nicely dressed, hair full of, head full of gray hair. He stepped out and he walked down the aisle. And when he got next to the young man, he folded his legs and sat on the floor next to him. And the people were amazed. Were amazed. You see, the important thing for you and I today is that we help people, whether it's these young people. And what blesses me about these youth today is the fact that they don't have, if they'll serve God, to go through what so many people go through. You see, we can either be a fence at the top of the mountain next to the cliff, or we can be an ambulance down in the valley. Now one person put it this way, an ambulance down in the valley. It was a dangerous cliff, as they freely confessed, Though to walk near its crest was so pleasant. But over its terrible edge there had slipped a duke and full many a peasant. So the people said something would have to be done. But their projects did not all tally. Someone said, put a fence around the edge of the cliff. Some, an ambulance down in the valley. But the cry for the ambulance carried the day. For it spread through the neighborhood city. A fence may be useful or not, it's true. But each heart became moved with pity. For those who slipped over the dangerous cliff and the dwellers on highway and alley gave pounds and gave pence, not to put up a fence, but an ambulance down in the valley. Then an old sage remarked, It's a marvel to me that people give far more attention to repairing the results than to stopping the cause when they'd much better aim at prevention. Let us stop at its source. All this hurt, cried he. Come neighbors and friends, let's all rally. If the cliff we will fence We might always dispense or almost dispense with the ambulance down in the valley. 
I love the mountains. Love the mountains. And especially the Blue Ridge Mountains. Skyland Drive. Love to stop and look out over those blue mountains. Enjoy that. It's refreshing. Cool. In the summertime. I love the mountains. But some of those drives are very dangerous. And they're curvy. You meet yourself going. I mean, they go right back. And some of those roads are right next to a cliff. And wow, you don't want to go over those cliffs because you wouldn't stop for a long, long time. So they've taken and put guardrails up at the most dangerous places. So if you would happen to almost go over the cliff, you would hit the guardrail. But what bothers me are those guardrails. Why don't they leave them off? They impede me. They, they block some of my views. And, and uh, wouldn't it be better if they left off the guardrails? Why did they put them there anyway? Did they put them there to make me angry? Did they put them there to keep me from enjoying my trip to the mountains? They put those guardrails there to keep me safe. And a lot of times, we look at God's guardrails, His commandments, and we get angry. Let's take, for instance, His commandments about sex. The marriage bed is undefiled. Why would He say just the marriage bed? Don't He understand my drive? All he wants to do is, is, is keep me down and not let me do what I want to do. My flesh is raging. And he's got those guardrails there. You know why he has them there? To keep you safe. It's better to put a fence at the cliff than an ambulance down in the valley. It's better these young people go to acquire the fire and God touch their lives and change them permanently. So they won't have to suffer the pain of drug abuse, of alcohol abuse. You want to find out about alcohol abuse? Ask my brother. You want to find out what he, where it leads to? Those guardrails, God's laws, those laws about moral living and right living is to guard us, protect us. Those guardrails are for our good. Aren't you glad for God's guardrails? Aren't you glad for his commandments? Listen, I'm no better than the next person, but I am so glad I didn't get into all that stuff. I'm not bragging. I'm the, as I said, I'm 73 years old and I look pretty good. I thought you would flip over and, and firecrackers would go off and not really. <laughs> what I'm saying is, 
guardrails or protect your mind and your body and your life and to keep you from danger. God's laws are to protect us, to keep us from harm. I love the fact that Jesus knew what it was, the color outside the line. I love the fact that he knew what it was to act cozy with the riffraff because I was one at one time. We all were. Notice the lessons that Sister Judy comes and plays just as I am because that's where we all met Jesus. Notice the lessons. We are to be separate, not isolated. We are to practice contact without contamination. Somebody say amen. We are to practice contact without contamination. The problem with sowing the seed is not that there is not good ground to be found, but that the seed is still in the barn. There's a lot of good ground out there. Haggai said that. There's a lot of good ground to sow some seed in. But we need to get the seed out of the barn. The seed's in here. The word's in here. God's word is in our hearts. The word's in here. Let's get it out. Let's plant it in soil. Where's the soil? Those out there, the riffraff. The great commandment is to go into all the world. That includes the riffraff, the drunken, the addicts, the prostitutes, the sick, and the spiritually unfit. I wonder what our focus is on filling this church. Wouldn't you like to have it full? Oh, I would love to have it full. He said, how long are you going to pastor until you work enough to fill up this church and you better start? But is our desire to fill it up with good people? Church transfers, and please, if you've transferred from another church, uh, thank you. But what is our desire for these pews? Does it put people in those pews unsaved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost and on my way to heaven? That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's some riffraff out there that we need to reach and endure on. Amen? Let me say it again. There's some riffraff out there that needs to be reached right here in Durham. Let's get the seed out of the barn. Let's put up the guardrail. Let's build that fence. Stop them from going over. Stop them from ruining their lives. Can you imagine what would happen? We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. 16, 17. Let's say about 20. Can you imagine if all these young people and adults alike got really excited about winning one more person? Make up our mind. We're, we're going to get out there where the riffraff are. We're not going to contaminate ourselves. We're not going to, oh, I love... Uh, one's testimony, you know, we, we, we're not going to join in with the crowd as far as partaking of the sins. 
Remember this, there's a difference between separation and isolation. You might say today, preacher, I don't know about me. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just not good enough. I love this song. I haven't sung it in a long time. What page is it, Brother Denny? <laughs> well, you don't have to turn to stand and sing it with us. Lead us if you would.